We're going to continue our series we started two weeks ago entitled The Big Three, and we began talking about three keys to victory that God has given us to overcome, really, uh, the tools of temptation that Satan uses against our life. We said there are really three tools of temptation that Satan uses against us every time, uh, and they are the same tools of temptation that he has been using since the beginning of time. Satan doesn't have any new tricks. Everything he's doing today, he's been doing since the genesis of time. And every temptation you have ever faced comes in the area of three arenas. There are three main areas of temptation where every temptation you and I face is in the form of one of these three temptations. So the tools of temptation are our own desires. James chapter 1 says we are tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires or by our own lust. So temptation comes from within, And it's through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life that the enemy draws us away from God. And we talked about the four P's. We talked about God's promise, God's provision, God's protection, and God's promotion. And when we are drawn away from God, we move out from under that umbrella of God's provision, God's protection, God's purpose, and God's promotion. And we find ourselves exposed to to the world, exposed to the temptations and the snares of the enemy, and we end up being, being uh, attacked and assaulted and devastated because our lives begin to be dismantled by the work of the enemy because we come out from under that covering that God has intended for us. So there are three keys to victory. We call them the big three, integrity. We talked about that last Sunday. How many of you were here last Sunday? All right, very good. If you weren't here last Sunday, we're going to make that uh, video available via Facebook this week. You can check that out. Uh, and so I want you to go and look at that. Last week we talked about five areas of integrity and how that integrity disarms the enemy and gives you victory over the lust of the flesh because the lust of the flesh, we said as we looked at last week, is the temptation to feel, right? I want to feel good, but integrity says I want to do good, amen? And I want to do what is good and pleasing in the eyes of God. And so uh, we recognized that last week. Today we're going to talk about generosity. And next Sunday we're going to talk about humility. And we're going to see how these three things disarm the enemy. And we just kind of painted a picture and we said let's just imagine that the devil has a toolbox and that he uses the tools in his toolbox to begin to dismantle your life. Right To dismantle your peace, to dismantle your joy, to dismantle your family, to dismantle your finances, to dismantle your future, and to dismantle the purpose that God has for your life. So what would happen if we removed the tools out of this toolbox? What would happen is, is we would begin to walk in victory. We would begin to walk in triumphant victory over temptation, and we would see the victory of the cross that we just celebrated through communion made alive in our lives because we would begin to walk in the power of the resurrection as we would live by faith. So we said that the lust of the flesh, that lust operates through our natural senses. And so we see things and we operate out of that natural realm, right? How many of us have ever made a decision and we felt like, you ever made one of those decisions, you said, man, I just really felt like that was a good decision. And then you made it and you realized it was a horrible decision. You ever done that? <laughs> I'm guilty, right? I'll probably raise both hands. Right, man I, just, man, I just felt like that was a good decision. I just felt like that was the right thing to do. I just felt like that was the right thing to say. And after you did it or you said it or you made the choice that you made, you realized, man, that was not the right thing to do. That was not the right thing to say. That was not the right way to act. And all of a sudden, I've got this thing that just blew up, right? 
Have you ever had those visions where you, we think about something and you're like, man, I'm going to do this and this beautiful thing's going to happen. And then you do it and it explodes like in your face. And you're like, I never saw that coming. And God's in heaven saying, I saw it coming a long time ago. That's why I told you not to do that. You know? And so the lust of our flesh, we, lust operates through our natural senses, what we feel, what we think, what we see, what we touch, what we taste. But, but faith operates through spiritual senses. Faith comes by hearing, the Bible says, and hearing by the Word of God. So if we're going to live by faith, we're going to have to operate out of the spiritual realm, right? And how do we operate out of the spiritual realm? We operate by hearing the voice of God. And so we need, to, we need to hear the voice of God because the only way to live by faith is to live in relationship with God. And I begin to hear the voice of God. And, and we, we, how do I hear the voice of God? Well, it's really simple. The best way to hear the, vo- the voice of God is to read the verse of God. When you read the Word of God, God's Word gives clarity to God's voice. And if you watch, we do a little thing called Fruitful Five. A couple weeks ago, I did a thing on Open Our Ears, Our Ears to Hear. And I talked about how that the Bible... The Bible gives direction to our lives, but the Holy Spirit reveals the details of life, right? So if you're going to live by faith, you've got to live by what the Word of God says, and you've got to walk according to the direction of the Word, and then you've got to make decisions based on the details of the Holy Spirit because the Bible tells you to go to church. It's the Holy Spirit that tells you which church to go to. So you're you're not here by accident. The fact that you feel compelled to come to this church is because this is the church God's called you to be in. Right? The Bible Bible says if you desire to be married, it's a good thing. Right? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And so marriage is a good thing. But it's the Holy Spirit that will tell you which person is the right person for you to marry. Right? Because not every person is compatible with you. Amen? Right? So, so we need the direction that comes from the Word of God, but we need the details that come by the voice of God, and that only happens as we begin to walk by faith and we begin to listen and lean into the voice of the Spirit and follow direction of the Word of God. So we said that you can't live by faith until you crucify the flesh. Two things you're going to always have to do as a Christian is you're going to always have to crucify your flesh because as long as you live in this body, you are susceptible to temptation. Right? You never outgrow the reality that you can be tempted, but you can disarm the enemy and take away the tools of temptation. Amen? The, second, the other thing that you're always going to have to do is you're going to have to always renew your mind. And the reason you're going to have to always renew your mind is because every day your mind is being bombarded by the lies of the enemy. Every day you're being told lies. Lies about who you are, lies about what you should be, lies about what you could be, lies about who people are, lies about God, lies about the world. Every day you're being bombarded by the lies of the enemy. And if you are not crucifying your flesh and renewing your mind, then you're never going to walk by faith. Because those two things are counterproductive to a life of faith. Why? Because if I'm being led by my flesh, I'm not walking in the Spirit. But if I'm walking in the Spirit, the Bible says I won't be led by my flesh. Amen? So there is great victory in Christ. Let's look at our next point here. So we said the lust of the flesh is temptation to feel. We talked about that last week. I want to feel good, but integrity says I want to do good. So let's look at our next point. This is where we're going today. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is the temptation to have. I see it and I want it. I see it and I want it. We live in the most, we live in the richest nation on the planet but we also live in the most indebted nation on the planet. 
we have more wealth, but we also have more debt. That, that, that just don't even seem right. How is it that we can have more money, but at the same time that we have more money, we also have more debt, and we're actually living in more bondage because of our debt than probably any other nation on the planet? I want to tell you how that happens. It's called the lust of the eye. We see it, and we want it. And we see it, and we want it. And we said the way this works is that if, if I am looking to the world to be content, right, if I love the world and the things in the world, the Bible says, I will not walk in the love of the Father. Why? Because the love of the world means that I'm looking for a contentment in the world. So if I believe that this house will make me happy, then when I get that house, I will also then believe that a bigger house will make me happier. Right? And if I believe the car will make me happy, then when I get that car, it won't be very long before I'll think that that newer car or that faster car or that prettier car will make me happier. Right? And if I finally win the heart of that woman and make her my wife, because I think if I get married to her or if I have her, I'll be happy, well, after a couple years when the, the newlywed wears off, then all of a sudden you start thinking, well, she made me happy. That woman would make me happier. And as long as you are living a life led by lust, as long as you believe the lie that anything or anyone in this world can actually satisfy you, you'll never be satisfied. See, if you're not happy as a single, you won't be happy when you get married. If you're not happy when you're married, you won't be happy when you have children. Because don't we do that? Don't single people say, well, if I was married, I'd be happy. And then when we get married and the new wears off, we say, well, if we just had kids, we'd be happy. Right? Oh, man, ain't that crazy. <laughs> All the people with kids are thinking, you are, don't even have a clue. Right? And now this next one may be true. I've not got there yet. But I hear that maybe if your kids didn't make you happy, your grandkids really will. Is that right? Brother Curtis, Brother Curtis says that. That maybe works. So that might be true. It's a long way to get to grandkids, though, let me just tell you, right? So let, let's, let's do it right on the front end, amen? So, so as long as we believe there's a contentment in the things of this world, we'll never be content. But when we begin to recognize, we sung about it this morning, that only God can satisfy, only God can satisfy, that the only way my soul can be content is to be in a right relationship with God. And when I'm in a right relationship with God, I can find a place of contentment in Him that is is isolated and secluded from everything else that's happening around me. What was crazy this week in Guatemala, we we went to, on Monday, we went to a a special needs hospital, and there were hundreds and hundreds of, of, of special needs children and adults young men and women and older men and older women and we took eight eight kids to lunch with us that day they let us check eight special needs kids out and we they were all in wheelchairs they all had cerebral palsy none of them could walk none of them could talk uh one or two of them out of eight could feed themselves but they smiled and laughed the whole time They had nothing. They had no wealth and no health. But they had a joy that most people never experience. How do you get that? How can you have cerebral palsy, not be able to walk, not be able to talk, not be able to feed yourself, not be able to change yourself, not be able to go to the bathroom by yourself? How can you be in that such a physical condition, living in an orphanage because your parents can't take care of you, 
and have joy and be happy. How is that even possible? It is only possible because the reality is nothing in this world can bring contentment. Only God can. And I believe God gives a grace to those children to know a joy that most people in America would give a million dollars for, but the problem is they think their million dollars will make them happy, and it won't. So the lust of the eye says, I am tempted to have. I see it and I want it, but generosity says, I have it and I want to use it for the glory of God. There is a shift. When you you step into a place of generosity, There is a shift in your focus, and we're going to talk about this a little more in depth in a minute, but there is a shift in your focus. You go from looking at what you don't have to looking at what you do have. Because how many of you realize that as long as you look at what you don't have, you will always feel empty? Right, we we were coming home uh, from Guatemala, and uh, the vote last night, now we were with seven youth, and so the vote was, where are we going to eat supper when we get to America? And it was McDonald's. And yeah, really, that's what I thought. But anyway, that's what it was. It was McDonald's. <laughs> and so we're on the fly home, and uh, you know, you start thinking about you ain't had a hamburger even at McDonald's in a week. And you start thinking about what you don't have, and all of a sudden you feel hungry. But when you start looking at what you do have, you feel full. And generosity is the opposite of the lust of the eye, which is greed. See, greed says, I don't have enough, I need more. Generosity says, I have enough, and I want to use what I have for the glory of God. Now, being generous doesn't mean that you don't desire to have increase in your life. It just means that you understand that increase is not the source of contentment, that increase is a source of provision for God to work greater and greater works through your life. And so when I have a generous spirit, I live with a mentality that says, you know what, I have, therefore I want to use what I have to glorify God. And let me just say to you today, you and I have a lot. Half of the world lives on less than $1 a day. $30 a month is their big paycheck. $360 a year is what they're excited to bring home to provide for their family. Now they live in a shack with a mud floor and a dirt floor and may not have electricity or running water. But no matter where you go, Africa, Belize, Guatemala, Mexico, kids are smiling, they're laughing, they're playing. People are sitting around sharing life, living life, loving each other. And they're content. Oh, they want more. They, they want to be able to provide for their family. But, but I want you just to see that there is, there is a thing called generosity that frees the soul of man to begin to know the riches of God in a way that you can never experience outside of that. So let me give you a couple of scriptures about generosity from the Word of God. Look at our first scripture. Isaiah 32, 8 says, But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. 
A generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. There is a stability in generosity that enables you to stand, to be steadfast, to be unmovable. There is a stability in generosity that you'll never find in greed. As a matter of fact, greedy people are never satisfied. I heard a story uh, Someone interviewed one of the wealthiest men on the planet and asked him, how, how much more do you need in order to be satisfied? And he said, just a little more. And isn't that how we live our lives in America? I just, I just want a little more, right? I mean, I don't want a lot. I just want a little more. A little more than what I got and a little more than what I got. And when I get a little more than what I got, I want a little more than what I got because I want a little more than what I got. And, and, and when you live out of a spirit of greed... You don't, you don't stand. There's no stability. There's this constant striving. Have you ever met somebody that literally that had more money than they could ever spend, but they still weren't content? I have. I mean, I mean I've met people that had more money than they could ever spend, and, and, and they were so stressed out about holding on to what they had that they couldn't enjoy what they had. It's, it's amazing, we, we were in Guatemala, and, and every house in Guatemala has a fence around it, or a wall, really. It is a wall, it's not a fence, it's a wall. We went to Africa, I mean to Mexico, me and Brother Curtis, and, and we went to the city dump. About 100 families living on the city dump, they literally built, built shacks in the garbage dump in Mexico, uh, and they gather from the dump every day, and that's how they make their living. They trade and barter and sell and, in order to live. And, and every shack had a fence around it. Because there is a poverty mentality that is driven by greed that, does, that is not determined. You can be greedy and have nothing. You can be greedy and have everything. See, greed is not determined by how much you have. Greed is determined by how much you want or how, how, how much you're willing to hold on to what you have. And so when you go to these impoverished communities, they have this mentality that says, i got to put a wall, a gate, a fence, because i got to hold on to what i got. I asked one of the gentlemen, we were there, I said, how do the, the rich Guatemalan people, do they help the poor Guatemalan people? And he said, no. I said, why not? He said, because they're afraid that something may happen in the future that they can't foretell and they may need the extra money that they have today to provide for themselves. But a generous person devises generous things and by generosity he stands. I, I want to say there is a stability that you will never know outside of generosity. Let's look at our next verse. I want you to see this. The Word of God is, is so rich with truth. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. You know how to never go hungry and never be thirsty? Then always give food and water to those that are. God waters the soul of those who waters others. And that's not just true financially. See, generosity is not just about your money. It's about your time. It's about your resources. It's about your energy. It's about your ability. It's really about your life. 
How do you use your life? How do you invest your life? How do you pour out your time, your energy, and your resources in order to make a difference in somebody else's life? The Bible says there that the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. If you want to be spiritually refreshed, then be a refresher. If you water people spiritually, you'll always be watered. And when you find yourself in your darkest hour, there will be somebody there pouring life out on you. And then the Bible says the generous soul will be rich. Sunday we were uh, at, at church. We went to church in Guatemala. It was really cool. Glenn, I thought about you. It was, it, was a, it was a bilingual service. And so they would sing one course in Spanish and the next course in English and one verse in Spanish and the next course in English. And, and then they preached, you know, and had an interpreter. And it was just cool. And I thought about Glenn because he speaks Spanish. And as a part of it was Father's Day, and so as a part of the, the, the message, the pastor showed a, a little short video. And in, in the video, it was, it was a story of, of a man and his son. And the father worked very hard. They lived, of course, in a, in a, in a, in a third world country. And, and the son, growing up, always wanted to be rich and always was overwhelmed by the mentality that they weren't rich. And and though they always had enough, the son thought they never had enough. The father uh, would sit down every week and give his son allowance. And then once he gave his son allowance, he had a jar he would set on the table and he'd say, now it's time to give to those in need. And he was teaching his son to give back. Well, as the story goes, the young boy grows up, goes to college, gets a good job and begins to pursue wealth and pursue wealth and pursue wealth and he didn't have time for his father and didn't have time for any of those things. And when he was young, he would always ask his dad, Dad, why aren't we rich? And his dad would pull out that jar. And he'd say, Son, who says we're not rich? He said, Riches is not measured by what you gain. Riches is measured by what you give. And one day, the son got news that his father had died. <clears throat> he goes home. He receives a letter from an orphanage. He goes to the orphanage, and when he walks in the door, there's this party, a celebration, and they're celebrating him. They bring him up front in front of all the kids and the kids are singing for him and they're dancing for him and they're hugging him and they present him with a plaque with his name on it. And all those years, his dad had been taking the money that he made and the money that his son gave and had been sending it to this orphanage every week and every month and every week and every month. He was one of the largest contributors to this orphanage. And as they presented the plaque to the son, they told the son, your dad wanted you to have a legacy that was greater than anything money could buy. And I thought, how powerful to know that, that the generous soul is rich. That there is a joy and a satisfaction and a contentment that we will never know outside of generosity. Let me give you one more scripture. 
The Bible says, he who has a generous eye will be blessed. For he gives of his bread to the poor. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. I thought that's interesting scripture since the Bible talks about the opposite of a generous eye is the lust of the eye. But a generous eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. There is a blessing. There is an intimacy. There is a knowing of God that you will never and I will never experience outside of a generous spirit. Now, let me just give you another couple thoughts. So generosity, we talked about this last week briefly, but we want to dissect it. So generosity, that next point, flows out of financial integrity. And we said integrity is a predetermined decision of how you're going to live your life. And so we need to make some decisions on how we're going to live our life. So what is financial integrity? Financial integrity says that I'm going to live my life as a manager and not the owner. I'm a manager. I'm not the owner. And if you don't believe that you're not the owner, then look at the size of your coffin when you die. They're made for one. Just for you. You don't take your house, you don't take your car, you don't take your wealth, you don't take your money, you don't take your boat, you don't take any of those things. When you die, they're going to put you in a box built big enough just for you. And the Bible says, naked you came into the world and naked you will return. And you'll take nothing with you financially to eternity except for what you used your money to do to reach people and love people and serve people with the resources God's given us. And so financial integrity is a spirit of generosity that says, you know what, I'm a manager and not the owner. I have, therefore I want to use what I have for the glory of God. So let, let me give you uh, two scriptures. Psalms 89 11 says, The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world in all its fullness. You have founded them. Everything, God, is yours. You own the heaven, you own the earth, right? The Bible says God owns the cattle of a thousand hill, and he owns the hills that those cattle are upon. Amen? God owns it all. Look at the next verse. 1 Chronicles 29 says, Both riches and honor come from you, God, and you reign over all, and in your hand is power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. Your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Just this morning I was praying, and, and this thought hit me. You know, we, we are so, as Americans... And God's so awesome, you know, that, that all this worked out, preaching on generosity the week after we get from, back from Guatemala. The Lord knows how to wreck your heart, right? So I was thinking this morning as I was praying, as Americans, we, we, are, we are so prideful in the sense that we, we take so much credit for our success. You know, well, I am who I am because I worked hard all my life. I am who I am because I went to school and got a, a degree. I am who I am because, man, I did this and I did that, and I worked hard and everybody else around me. And all that may be true, but let me just give you a simple thought this morning. The Holy Spirit just hit me with this. Riches and honor come from God. You would not have anything that you have today if you would have been born in Guatemala instead of in America. You wouldn't have it. If you lived in the culture they live in, you wouldn't have what you have today. If you were born 
on, in Africa instead of in America, you wouldn't have what you have today. You would not be who you are today. By the grace of God, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, we were born where we were born. And with that, with that privilege comes a responsibility to have a generous spirit that recognizes, as God told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so I can make you a blessing. Because here's some good news. God does not want his managers being broke. See, sometimes we think about, oh, God wants me to give everything away. He wants me to be poor so everybody else can be rich. No, God wants you to be rich so everybody else can be rich. God wants you to be blessed so everybody else can be blessed. God wants you to prosper so everybody else can prosper. God doesn't want his managers to be poor. God wants his managers to be blessed so that there's more resources to flow through them. The more God can give to you, the more God can give through you. If you're willing to be a manager and not take up an owner mentality that says, Oh God, I own it all. You don't own anything and neither do I. We are all stewards or managers of what God has entrusted to us. So I want to give you... Uh, what I'm just simply calling the fruit of a management mentality. Four things. I was listening, and you can write these four things down on your outline. I was listening to a message a couple weeks ago, and this pastor was talking about, he was, he's, a, he's in his 60s, maybe even in his 70s now, and he was talking about when he was early, he was in his early 20s, and he was pastoring his first church out in Texas. And he said at this church, uh, he said it was a small church, about 100, 125 people. He said, but there was a very successful businessman in the, in, the, in the church that he pastored. He said, after about a year of pastoring there, he said, one day the, the businessman invited him to come and meet him in, in the city where he worked there in Texas, and he said, I want to buy you lunch, pastor. So he met the, the businessman at his office, and it was a big skyscraper building, and, and uh, they actually went up to the top of the building to the penthouse, and there was a five-star restaurant up there and he said I'm talking about you know they had the the waiters had the little towel over their arm and he said I was way out of my league he said I was a little small town preacher and he said here I am I've never been in a restaurant like this in my entire life and he said I sit down this guy's name was John he said I sit down with John and he said uh, he helps me order you know he said man I don't know how to do anything he said I'm a duck out of water he said and, and after just a few minutes he said John leans over the table and he says pastor he said you have an opportunity that I don't have, and I have resources that you don't have. I want to partner with you, and let's make a difference in some people's lives. And the pastor said, well, well John, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, every day, he said, in our small community where, where, where our church is, he said, you meet people that have needs. He said, I'm a businessman. I've been a businessman most of my life. He said, I, he said, I, I, don't, even, I, don't, I don't meet needy people. He said, I spend my time working with people that make a lot of money. He said, but every day you meet people that have needs, and he said, you're, you're, you're called and confronted with challenges that are facing people every single day, and he said, I, I want to I partner with you because you have an opportunity I don't have. I have resources you don't have. He said, I want us to make a difference in the kingdom of God together, and he slid a check across the table to him. This was over 30 years ago. And he said, I flipped that check over and it was $5,000. And, and I don't know about you, $5,000 is a lot of money to me today. 30 years ago, that was a whole lot of money. And he said, I want to give you this. He said, it's seed money just to get started. He said, I only got one request. 
He said, okay, what's that? He said, I want to meet with you every month. I want to buy your lunch every month. And I want you to tell me the stories of the people that we helped. And so the pastor said, man, I was overwhelmed. He said, nothing. He said, of course, nothing like this ever happened to me before. And he said, but I'm like, okay, well, we'll, we'll do it. He said, when I walked away from that table that day, he said, John told me, he said, and when, when this money runs out, there will always be more money. We'll never run out of money. He said, I want you to meet needs. And so he said, I went back and he said, man, I started praying and just seeking the Lord on what in the world. And he said, out of this relationship with John, he said, God did something amazing. He said, God gave me a picture of what our relationship with God ought to look like. He said, because I was managing this man's money. And I knew it wasn't my money. And I knew I couldn't use it the way I wanted to use it. And I knew I couldn't spend it any way I wanted to spend it. He said, I knew that this money was John's money and not my money. And he said, the purpose of a manager is to use the resources that the owner gives them for the owner's purpose. And he said, he told me, basically, just meet needs. He said, so as a result of that, I began to ask myself a question. He said, every time I would hear of a need, every time I was confronted with a need, every time I was made aware of a need, I would ask the question, what would the owner, in this case, his name was John, what would John want me to do? Now think about it. What, what if we begin to live our lives that way? What if, what if we begin to recognize we don't own anything, we're just stewards over what God's given us? And what if every time we saw a need, we said, God, what do you want to do with your money? <laughs> God, what do you want us to do with your money? I, and I'm going I'm to tell you something really, really true. <laughs> every need you see, you're not supposed to meet. You're not supposed to do everything, but you are supposed to do something. That's why you need to hear the voice of the Lord. But what would happen if we just began to say, okay, God, I see a need, I see a struggle, I see a hurt, I see a pain. God, what, what do you want me to do with your money? The second thing he said that happened, he said, is, he said I became very accountable he said, I went and opened a special checking account with John's money. He said, and, I, and I, I began to pay attention to every penny that I spent, and I became very accountable. Let me just say, there are some of you in this room today, your whole financial situation would change if you just began to pay attention to how you spend God's money. Just begin to pay attention to how much money we waste on frivolous things. And again, not that you can't enjoy life, not that you can't have a nice dinner, not that you can't live in a nice home, not that you can't drive nice cars. No, that, that, that's not even the issue. The issue is that, you know what, when you manage somebody else's money, you realize, man, every month I've got to give an account. I've got to answer for how this money's being spent. I've got I to show some proof of purchase here on this is what we're doing and this is why we did what we did. And, and he said, all of a sudden, I really begin to think about, pray about ponder and think about how I handled this money. What if we did the same thing with the money God's given us? What if we really began to say, God, you're the owner, we're the managers, and you know what, Lord, every month I want to be able to give an account to you and account for what we've done with what you've given us and to know that we didn't frivolously waste it, but we actually used it in a way that brought glory to you. 
The third thing, he said the last two things, he said, I never saw coming. He said, I never imagined what happened. He said, but the third thing that happened as a result of that relationship, he says, I got to know the heart of the owner. He said, every month when I would meet with John, he said, we'd sit in that restaurant. He said, we're in this big fancy restaurant. And he said, I would tell him, oh, we, and we did this, and we paid $50 for this. And he said, we helped this single mom. And he said, every now and then, he said, I'd say something. He said, and John, he said, right there in this restaurant, John would say, praise God. He said, he'd just scream at the top of his lungs. He said, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I'm like, John, we're in a restaurant, you know. He didn't care. He said, he said, as I started this relationship with him, as I started being accountable to him, he said, all of a sudden, I started to know his heart. I started to see the things that moved him, the things that excited him, the things that stirred him. And I want to just say to you today, there is a level of intimacy that you will never know outside of generosity. If you want to know the heart of God, some of you are, are at, a, at a spiritual standstill in your life, and you're like, I feel like I've hit this wall and I can't get any closer to God. Let me tell you, generosity is a breakthrough for you. Because when you begin to act like a manager and not an owner, and all of a sudden you begin to know the heart of God, and you'll start hearing God say, Praise God, or whatever God says to himself, right? Praise, praise me, right? We were in Guatemala, and I, I could just hear the Lord saying that this week. But you know what? Every week in Arab, I hear God say it too. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And he said the last thing. He said, I never, I never saw this coming. He said, John became one of my best friends. He said, John became one of my best friends. He said, I never saw that coming. I never imagined that would happen. He said, this little old poor country preacher and this very successful businessman, he said, and we became best friends because we began to share our lives together in a way that most people never share their lives together. Some of you want to know God like you've never known God. Generosity will do that. It'll cultivate a relationship. The Bible says where you're treasure is there your heart will be also so let me give you two last thoughts so generosity i talked about this at the beginning changes your focus from what you don't have to what you do have it didn't take about one step off the airplane in guatemala to realize what we do have what we do have air conditioner is awesome I love it as much as you can love air conditioning. All of a sudden, when I begin to live out of a generous spirit, my focus changes. I stop looking at what I don't have. I start looking at what I do have. And I realize I am rich. I am rich. And not only am I rich, I have an opportunity to enrich the lives of other people. The American missionaries that were there, Rob's sister was one of those, and we left her peanut butter crackers. And she was excited. <laughs> because they don't have peanut butter in Guatemala. And she said, I love peanut butter. And she was so excited over peanut butter crackers and beef jerky. <laughs> Those things excite me too, but it was. We are rich 
and we can enrich the lives of others through a generous spirit. Last thought, we're going to close with this. Generosity creates a contentment that comes from what I give, not what I gain. All of a sudden, you begin to understand the Scripture that says it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is a contentment that comes in your heart out of what you give. We had 14 people go to Guatemala, and we all came home content. Content, not just because of what we have, but because of what we were able to give. A little of our time, a little of our energy, a little sweat, a little love, a little peanut butter cracker. And all of a sudden, out of generosity, there is a contentment that you will never experience anywhere else.